Welcome to this episode of Consider It Blacklit. I am Kim Singleton, your host. And for those of you tuning in for the first time, Consider It Blacklit highlights films, television programs, and stage plays featuring African-Americans up front and behind the scenes. We also discuss social issues as it relates to some of these programs and how they may or may not impact our communities. So thank you for tuning in and we hope you continue to tune in each week. Today, it is my pleasure to have a Broadway producer, Randy Donaldson. Welcome, Randy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, listen, I don't know why you're, I am nobody. I'm just a kid from Cincinnati. <laughs> At least that's how I feel. <laughs> no, you have done some amazing things and I cannot wait for my audience to hear about them. So let's start by you telling our audience, what's your experience in the entertainment business? What is my experience? Well, I've been in the entertainment business, wow, since I guess the sixth or seventh grade. Um, so that that's only 10 years. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I've been I've been doing this about 35 years, I guess. Um, I have a degree in theater from Webster University. Um, I let's if, if we rewind before that, I went to a performing arts school in Cincinnati. It was school for the creative and performing arts. Um, and after graduating college, I moved to, uh, to New York City. And um, I, from there, relatively quickly after I moved into the, to the city, I started working. I, I did a national tour of a course line. Um, I did a national tour of Grand Hotel. I did a production of uh, Starlight Express, which is <laughs> about trains and it's on roller skates. <laughs> um, I did it. I did another uh, national tour of a course line. I did. Um, from there, I luckily got my first Broadway show, which was Annie Get Your Gun, starring Bernadette Peters. It was directed by Graziella Danielle, which was an amazing experience. Um, I actually started out in the ensemble of that show and then moved into the role of Tommy Keeler, where, where I played um, someone who was half Irish and half Indian. So as you could tell, it was typecasting. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did the uh, the tour of Kiss Me Kate. Um, I then did Wonderful Town on Broadway, and the, uh, I did uh, the Lion King. I did the tour of the Lion King, playing the role of uh, Bonsai, which was so much fun. I did that for three years. It was that was that was crazy fun. And after when I just when I decided to leave the Lion King, I got. I got to the city and a friend of mine was a producer. And my entire career, for whatever reason, the one thing that I would always do, I would go visit every single department in the building. I would go sit in, you know, in the in the scene shop and talk to, you know, the the technical director. I don't know why I was doing this, but I just found it fascinating. I sat in stage management and I was always asking questions and, you know, stage management, they were always um, with company management. So I was always asking, you know, management questions and I would talk to the company manager. And so asking questions about, you know, payroll and how, what do they do, especially when being on tour, how does, how do things work? And I didn't really realize why I was doing this until I got off the tour of a court of, of the Lion King and a producer friend of mine, you know, I'm, I, I used to come up with these crazy marketing schemes because I, I, I was always fascinated with how, you know, what, what, how they would try to market shows. And, 
and how, what they would, you know, what the different ideas that they would come up with. Um, so you would actually pitch these marketing ideas to the producers? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like one, for instance, I um, when I was in Wonderful Town um, and I went and asked all the cast members, I said, now, if I were producing this show and I so the show right now is at TKTS um, and what they do is they hire they hire people to hand out um, ticket vouchers at, at, at the line at TKTS. And I was thinking if if the people handing out the ticket vouchers were actually in the show and they had a conversation with someone waiting in line to get a ticket to see whatever show. If I were standing in line and someone from a show came up and started talking to me, I would probably buy a ticket for their show. So, so I was at, I asked everyone in my and I went around and asked everyone in the cast. Now, if if I were producing the show and I offered you a hundred dollars a week extra to hand out ticket vouchers at TKTS for three hours for three hours, just any three hours in the week, you would you would have to hand out these ticket vouchers. Would you do it? And everyone said no. And I and I couldn't I I I couldn't wrap my mind around that because I'm thinking, well, if the show's at TKTS, that means that we need audience members. If the audience decides to dwindle anymore, there's a chance the show could close. So you would rather not make an extra hundred dollars by handing out ticket vouchers than to have your show just close. So, it could, you know, it could have been like, I'm doing all this work and now you want me to be out on the street too? Well, no, yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. But my thinking was, is that either you're going to be on the street because you're going to be unemployed or you're going to be on the street because you're passing out a ticket voucher. I think it's better to make $100 extra to hand out a ticket voucher, but that is just me. Um, but I would come up with all these ideas and I, was, I, I pitched that to a producer and he said, Randy, that's, I mean, I think it's a, it's a good idea, but why don't you, there is a weekend um, producer seminar. You should take that seminar. So I went to this through CTI, um, the uh, Commercial Theatrical Institute, commercial, uh, I should know this, but I, I can't remember offhand. But anyway, so I went and took that, um, that three-day seminar, and it, I, it was fascinating because it, made, it also made me realize that over the course of the 25 years that I had worked in theater, I had picked up a couple things. And the, but the one thing that I didn't quite have a grasp, a grasp upon was the finances, the budget, like what it costs to do something and where money, where monies went. And it, I found it completely fascinating. And even to this day, the thing that I'm most fascinated by is actually the marketing and advertising because it's what makes a break. It will. It's what will make a break a show. Um, it's the first thing that we, as a producer, will cut when we are when we are hemorrhaging money. So, trying to figure out like the sweet spot of how much money you you need and exactly where that money should go and how that money should go. You know how you should um, spend your marketing dollars. All right. So tell us, you know, you had mentioned all these shows, but you had actually performed in these shows. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your transition from a performer to an actual producer. How did that happen? Um, it, it, I think it, it kind of happened. Um, to me, it almost felt like a natural trans, a natural transition. Um, I'm still performing. 
So that's that's one thing. I still perform, but the fun thing, the thing about it now is that I perform because I want to, not because I like. I feel like I have to. But the transition happened because, you know, I went to an audition. <laughs> I was at an audition for a production of Smokey Joe's Cafe, and um, and I'm I sing my two songs, and the director says to me, "Okay, that that was great. Now, do you have anything fierce?" Years, okay. Yeah. So I said, knowing exactly what the director was asking, I decided to kind of needle and push a little bit. I said, now wait, but I mean, I, I thought I was just fiercely funny. So, so I knew that the director wanted me to basically scream gospel. And the thing about it is that I think there is a place for, you know, for that. But because I am 5'4", and I'm a tenor, why is it that I have to scream gospel in order to be on a Broadway stage? And so- Do you think I, that had anything to do, you know, with your race or what they expected out of you because you were a man of color? Yes, I do. Okay. I do. I, and so what I, during like, so when I would see like, and, and or have encounters like that, it made me realize we need more representation and so many different aspects of theater because there is nothing wrong with screaming gospel if the show calls for screaming gospel, you know? Um, I always challenge, uh, I challenge people all the time. I say to them, um, I want you to think about, you know, and not that Tony Awards are the end all be all, but I want you to think about, I, I say to people, how many people, how many black people are people of color have won Tonys by screaming gospel? And I, I asked that question and no one can answer it because the question is zero. The answer wow. is zero. Um, now, some people would say Jennifer Holliday in Dream, in Dream Girls. And I will challenge that and say, I don't think she was screaming gospel. I think she was actually like, in that was a character that was, that was all story-based. It was, it wasn't like it, the one thing that there are times that we're asked to do, what we're asked to do in some shows is we are asked to, it's almost like we're asked to entertain the audience, but it doesn't really have much to do with the story. So, you know, there, there, you know, there, there, it's almost like it's a, it's a, it's a gimmick in, in a show. It, it's like the 11, the 11 o'clock number, or it's that one number that, you know, to just to get the audience together. And then the show, the show you know, the, come out on stage, get the audience going, the, the, the scene ends or the song ends, and then the show starts up again. You know, and I, there, there's, we do so many different things, you know, you know, so I decided that I, I need to have, I guess, a say in, I would like to have a say in what is being presented on, on stage. So that ooh, was why, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, um, who actually hired you to be a producer? Um, the, very first, the very first show I was a producer on was the, it was the producer that I would always give these ideas to. Um, his name was Roy Miller and it was the Pee Wee Herman show. Oh, and, Pee Wee uh, Herman, okay. Yeah, so, and, and what was funny is that he said to me, he's like, Randy, what I want you to do is I want you to raise $250,000. And I said, you are crazy. There is no possible way that I can do that. And next thing I know, two months later, I raised $250,000. Okay. You're going to be a producer on my show. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it's, but the funny thing is, is that I, that was my first show and I didn't realize it was so interesting because when, when someone said to me, so how are you going to raise money? And I would say, I haven't the slightest idea. I have like my best friend has a little money, but other than that, I don't, who do I know that's going to be able to write a $25,000 check? And so what I would, what I would find my, what I would find myself doing is just talking to people and they would say, they would be interested in what I was doing. And if they couldn't write me a check, they would say, they would then introduce me to someone who they thought could. So I've, I've, I've been able to do that. But the one thing that I realized from that is that once you start raising money for shows, everyone wants you to raise money for their shows. And the problem with that for me is that I don't, I'm going to get in so much trouble. I, I don't know if everyone is responsible in how they spend their money. Um, I, I don't, I don't always, um, I don't always agree with how some producers do certain things. You know, when I was, um, when I was taking that CTI uh, uh, weekend course, you know, they just so flippantly said, the average Broadway musical costs $10 million. And that was back in 2008 or nine. And I said, and I literally raised my hand and I said, why? He said, what do you mean? Why? He said, since you look at the budgets, I'm like, I understand that that you're saying the average Broadway musical costs $10 million based on this budget. But if we don't do something about that number, that $10 million, we're never going to be able to produce, you know, because it, we're going to turn into, we're going to, we're going to like push ourselves out of a market that that's going to be unsustainable. We're not going to be able to sustain that. Which explains why some of the tickets are so expensive. Mm-hmm. Which, and w- like one of the things that I want to do as a producer is I'm, you know, we're in the process of reaching out to, to a number of organizations and corporations because every show that I'm on, I want to do a, tips, a ticket subsidy. That's the, that is my objective. Yeah, I, I want to talk about your new projects, but before we move on to that, you had mentioned your brother. I read that your brother was a big influence in you doing what you do. Tell us how he has influenced you. My brother went to this performing arts school and he was in a production of Cinderella. And I want to say he was a dancer in Cinderella. And so I go to see this show and I, I'm watching this. I'm, the lights go out and then like the lights come back on and music is playing. I'm like, that was the coolest thing I had ever seen. You know, the, the, the lights and the costumes and and at the end of every number, the audience would applaud. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. So I kind of got addicted. I, I kind of got like, you know, addicted to the, the, the attention, I guess, because, you know, when I played baseball, I loved, you know, I would still, at my very first baseball game, I didn't start. I, um, I came off the bench. The score was tied five to five at the bottom of the, the fifth inning. My coach said, Randy, I want you to get there. And I just want you to walk. So I got on, I got up there, I walked, I went to first base, I stole second. They threw the ball to second as I was stealing second. They overthrew it. So I went to third, they threw the third and they overthrew it and I stole home and we won the game. Everyone went crazy. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. So when I saw that at the end of every number that you get applause, like, like what happened to me in my first baseball game. Oh, I was hooked. Oh, I was hooked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm so, glad yeah. you got hooked. Uh, <laughs> you, you and just, me both. <laughs> yeah, because you do some great work. Um, so you produce for other 
other than Pee Wee Herman, you've done the Scott's Barrel Boys, mm -hmm. which I saw, which was amazing, and also Native amazing. Son. Yeah. So uh, American Son. American Son. I'm sorry. American, American Son. Yes. So tell us about that. What was that like? So the Scottsboro Boys was a that was a that was a, an interesting one and an interesting one um, because I actually auditioned for the Scottsboro Boys. And so when I read the script, I read the script and I said, OK, one of two things are going to happen with this with this project. Either it's going to be the greatest theatrical experience that I've ever had or everyone involved with this is going to be run out of town on a rail because it was it, it they they made they made some choices with that show and so with so I auditioned for it I didn't get it but after raising money for Pee Wee Herman a producer reached out to me to to come on board with with um the Scottsboro Boys and you know I'm like there is no possible way that I can become a producer on the Scottsboro Boys I just I just did something that I never ever 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 believed that I could do, which is raise all this money for the Pee Wee Herman show. I, I don't have anyone that's going to be able to give me money for this. So um, you mean to tell me that you could get people to donate for Pee Wee Herman uh, <laughs> and you doubted the Scottsboro boy. It's not that I doubt it. It's just that I thought that, you know, I went out to someone and said, can you write me a $25,000 check? Am I going to go back to that person and say, oh, and by the way, can you write me another one? I, that's, that was my fear, you know. Um, now, it, there were things working for it. It was, you know, it was a candor net musical with Susan Stroman. And the best part about it is that there was a production happening at the Vineyard, and then it was going to go to the Guthrie. So I was going to be able to invite people to see it. It ended up being a a little easier than I, I shouldn't say it was it wasn't easy to raise money because it's never easy to raise money but I was able to do it because what I've what I learned from from doing um uh, uh the Scottsboro Boys and American Son is that the only way for me that I'm able to raise money for a project is if I believe in it 100 percent when someone gives writes you a check they don't necessarily write a check to the piece they write a check to you representing the piece. So if they don't have faith in you, then you can't get, they, you can't get that money for that piece. So the only way someone can have faith in me is if I have the utmost faith in what I am working on. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's um, talk about the projects you're working on now. Let's talk about Mr. Ricky Calls a Meeting. Yes. Tell our audience about that project, what it's about, you know, what role you're okay. playing in it, et cetera, et cetera. So Mr. Ricky Calls a Meeting is based around a, a historical moment in, in history. It's based around the, um, the time when Jackie Robinson is called up to the major leagues. So um, the writer, the, the, the playwright, um, he read, he, I, I believe what he said is that he read um, Joe Lewis's um, biography. And, and there was a, a, a sentence in, in his biography saying that he met with Branch Ricky about you know helping you know helping him helping Branch Ricky with Jackie Robinson coming to the major leagues. So when the playwright saw that sentence or paragraph, he decided to create an entire play around that one sentence. So so basically what he did was he wrote a play about Branch Ricky reaching out to all of the black um, leaders of the time to help him promote Jackie Robinson to the major leagues. So it's, um, it's a meeting that took place in the Roosevelt Hotel between um, Branch Rickey, Jackie Robinson, 
Joe Lewis, Paul Robeson, and Bill Bojangles Robinson. It is, it's a piece of theater that I think is, it's so exciting because it gets you to think about, it gets you to think in so many different ways, you know. We look at the uh, at Jackie Robinson becoming, you know, a major league player, uh, you know, leaving the Negro Leagues, going into the major leagues as such a great moment in history. And it was, but what we don't ever think about were the repercussions of that action. You know, for instance, what happened to the Negro Leagues after that? What happened? And, and so with the Negro Leagues starting to, you know, to wane, what then happened to all of those Black-owned hotels and Black-owned black owned, uh, restaurants. What happened, to, what happened to those businesses? Like, we never think about that, you know? So that's the one, that's the one thing that, that, that got me. I started reading it. It's funny, when, uh, when a friend of mine sent me the script, I started reading the script and I started reading it and I was angry. I was, I was reading it angry. Because I'm like, I know how this is going to end. I know it. I know what's going to happen. Mid Branch Ricky's going to be the hero and it's going to piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't happen. What happened? I'm not going to tell you what happens, but Branch Ricky is somehow gotten out of the room and the guys actually like roll up their sleeves and get real. And it is so good. Oh, wow. I can't wait till that comes out. So at what stage are you with this production? Are well, you in the fundraising I, stage or casting? Well, or we're, we're at the beginning of the fundraising stage because what happened was, you know, COVID hit. And so everything took a backseat. And what we don't want to do is we have to figure out exactly what's going on with COVID. I don't want COVID to be an issue. It's already way too expensive to produce. I don't want to add another expense to my show by having to, you know, to hire two or three other actors just in case someone gets sick, you know, because it's already going to be hard as it is. So what we're what we're trying to do is we're trying to reignite the play. So right now we're in the process of figuring out a, we're going to do a a presentation um, sometime in the sometime in the fall winter of next year. Oh, so cool. so that's where we are in in with that. So the idea with that is that. We would do something this coming fall winter with the idea that maybe the followings like late winter so that would be the late winter. it would be maybe the the 23 24 season mm, okay okay so tell us about and i'm excited about this project Marion <laughs> anderson tell us about oh, that man, one oh, man, oh. It is. It's, it's, I, you, if you're excited, wow. I am so excited about it. Basically, it's about Marian Anderson. We, um, you know, she was the very, very first Black person to sing at the Met. What's exciting about this is it is amazing how many people don't know about Marian Anderson. That is, it's mind-blowing that so many people didn't know that in 1939, she sang a concert at the Lincoln Memorial for 75,000 people and that the audience was completely integrated. She was also the highest paid entertainer in America. She was making a quarter of a million dollars a year in, 1930, in, in, in 1939. Like, it's so exciting, I can't even tell you. <laughs> so, the, so this is basically a story of her life. It's the beginnings of her life from you know, when she started singing uh, and it goes up through the, um, the, the concert at the Lincoln Memorial. Wow. I'm assuming it's a, a musical. It's a musical. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, oh. But what's great about it is that it has, 
you know, it has gospel, it has opera, it has musical theater, it it spans the genres. It's a yeah. Our director is Tamara Tooney. Oh, I love her. Yeah, so it's it's really really that this one is very, I'm I'm excited about both, but this one to me seems I don't know. There's something about this that seems I actually think she is she she being Marian Anderson is we're I think we're telling the right story at the right time about the right person. At the time, there was a lot of, you know, a lot going on, you know, racially. And the fact that she was able to, you know, she would tour in the South and as opposed to having, you know, you she'd have blacks and whites in her audience, as opposed to having all the white people in the front and the black people in the back. What she would do is she would have the white people on one side and the black people on the other. So there was never a hierarchy, you know, um, so the fact that she was able to do that, and the reason she was able to do that, because the only thing she wanted to do was sing. She didn't want to be an activist. She didn't want to change the world. All she wanted to do was to let people hear her sing, you know. And I mean, people don't know that a 10-year-old, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. listened to the concert. And that was that's one of the impetus of him doing his, his speech on the, at the Lincoln Memorial. Like, wow. no one knows these things. It's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you're super excited about it. So when do I you am. anticipate uh, Marion to be, you know, ready for people to see the show? Well, the good thing about Marion, um, we have luckily, like, gotten an amazing partnership. So we are partnering with the Marion Anderson Theater, which is on the, the, the CUNY campus in, um, in Harlem. So Okay. We they're they're the they're going to be the home of the development of the Marian Anderson musical. We are doing um, a workshop in the fall, but in in the late fall. But the great thing about the workshop that we're doing, it's that's gonna that's gonna be part of a, basically a Marian Anderson festival starting in September. There's going to be all these different you know uh, events that are going to happen at the theater. We're going to do a presentation in November that the uh, that the public will be able to see. So um, I will shoot you all to the MarianAndersonMusical.com and you'll be able to keep track of everything that we're doing. <laughs> um, so I'll say that again, Marian, and Marian Musical, sorry, MarianMusical.com and you can keep track of everything that we're doing. Well, everyone, that's our time for today. Thank you, Randy, for joining us and sharing all this great information. And until next week, consider yourself Black Lit.